please open them up to, I am in the wrong chapter myself, Colossians. And we're going to go to chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 7 through 18. Um, Yeah, a lot. (laughs) It's going to be a lot today, but we're going to do it. It's going to be great. Alrighty, we're starting with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, The beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. So, we're going to be concluding um, Colossians this week, and then next week we'll have an overview of all that we've learned from Colossians. Um, But here we are at the final greetings. Um, And Paul often does this in his letters. If you notice, actually, this is not as long as Romans. If you've ever read Romans, it's actually two chapters worth of greetings <laughs> from all the people in Rome and to those whom he's writing to. So be glad we're not going over that right now. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, there is still something, I think, to learn from these, from these final greetings. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, as a pastor and as someone who writes the sermons, I do admit final greetings are like genealogies. You know, what are you going to get from this? <laughs> you know, what are you going to learn from final greetings about all these names? Are these just names? Who are these people? What's the, what's the significance of this? Um, so hopefully, we've got something. We'll find out. So let's go ahead. Verse 7 and 8 and 9 all together. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Paul and Timothy continue the letter. Though it seems more likely at this point that Paul himself is the focusing particular um, as he, they write this, mentioning those people who are of importance to him and to the Colossians. Tychicus is the first individual mentioned, and is someone who is also mentioned in Ephesians and at the same uh, manner as here as well. His same things are said about him. It is likely that he is the letter carrier to Colossae, Ephesus, and the personal letter to Philemon, 
all being sent on this trip. Later in Titus, he is also mentioned as being sent by Paul to where Titus is, as well as mentioned in 2 Timothy being sent to Ephesus. So this is a man who is (laughs) well-traveled. He is the letter carrier. He's the one, the courtier, so to speak, who goes with Paul's letters to give to the people. Um, Yet, it is not only the letter carrying which makes Tychicus so important to Paul. He is also one who informs others of Paul's situation and what Paul has been accomplishing. Likewise, he is called a beloved brother and faithful minister fellow servant of the Lord. All of this is a way for Paul to inform the Colossians of Tychicus' faithfulness to God in his calling. It is also a way for Tychicus to be seen as an individual worthy of their trust to present um, what it is that Paul wants him to present to the believers. Now, the goal of sending Tychicus is that he would inform the believers of Paul's and his associates' circumstances. If Paul is in prison at the time, which many believe is the case, then we can be sure that the churches would be concerned about what's occurring. Um, Paul sends Tychicus then to inform them of Paul's status as well as those around him. The fact that he is to encourage their hearts can represent either the information given concerning Paul and his companions, or further, the encouragement given through the reading of the letter and expounding on it, because he's the one who would actually read it to these individuals. Along with Tychicus, though, is Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave we find in Philemon. We notice something peculiar when it comes to Onesimus, as Paul calls him faithful and beloved brother, similar to Tychicus, but leaves out that he's a fellow servant. There are some theories as to why this was left out. It may be the realization that Onesimus was in fact a slave, and it seemed wrong to call him one again here in this context. Another reason might be that those who are fellow servants, that Paul says, are actually part of Paul's ministry team. In either case, we do notice that he is one of you, which likely references the fact that he is from Colossae originally. Uh, Similar to if, let's say, one of you were to go away, and um, let's say Mike and I go away to Philadelphia, and then we send a letter back, and I would say, you know, Mike, the Westfieldian, is, is sending this letter along with me. Ultimately, Onesimus is charged with the name as Tychicus to inform those in Colossae of what is to take place. And likely, again, this has to do with Paul's arrest and what's going on in the ministry. Alrighty, verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. At this point, there are greetings from others who are with Paul. The first of which is Aristarchus. According to Acts, he is from Thessalonica and accompanied Paul during his way to imprisonment in Rome. What some wonder is what it means for him to be my fellow prisoner. Some believe this relates to being a prisoner for Christ, but most believe that our Aristarchus joined Paul himself in his imprisonment in order to be of help to Paul. The next in the list is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He was the Mark who left the missionary journey uh, Paul and Barnabas went on 
Um, and because of that, when, they, when Paul and Barnabas were about to embark on their second missionary journey, Paul wanted to leave Mark behind, and Barnabas wanted to bring him along with. Unfortunately, because of this heated exchange, both Paul and Barnabas split with each other, Barnabas going with Mark and Paul going with Silas. Ultimately, though, despite what occurred between them, Mark seems to have vindicated himself before Paul. As in later Pauline writings, Mark is considered a close associate, even going to Rome because he comforts Paul. Still, the likely reason Mark is mentioned and seems to be well known is as Barnabas' cousin indicates that there is a possibility that Paul wants the Colossians to welcome him if he eventually visits. As it is, we have no great idea of what that means, whether it means that Paul would like Mark to go, um, or Mark has plans to go, or if there is something else going on there. We just don't know for sure. Uh, It's something that really the Colossians and Paul know that we just don't 2,000 years later. The final name with this particular list is Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, the name Jesus was actually a popular name, during the time period, and in order to distinguish individuals from Jesus the Christ, many of those who were converted Jews would change their name, um, such as the case with Jesus, who was called Justice. He was originally called Jesus, now his name is Justice. At this point, Paul informs his readers that these individuals are the only men of circumcision. There is some debate as to what that means. It is possible that these men are the, those of a Christian group who believe that all Christians should be circumcised, Though this seems unlikely, especially with how greatly Paul has argued against such beliefs, so for him to be associates, this doesn't make sense. Instead, the more likely situation is that these were ethnically Jewish believers. As it is, they have labored for the kingdom of God. Thus, we see how these individuals have been faithful to proclaim the gospel while in Rome with Paul. They have come together with Paul in this proclamation of the truth, and as such are called fellow workers by Paul. Ultimately, they have provided comfort to Paul, whether by their testimony, by being Jewish Christians, which Paul cares deeply about, um, their work for the kingdom, which Paul would naturally find comfort in, or simply by caring for Paul during his imprisonment personally. He just might simply find them to be a comfort because he's in prison and they're there with him. Now, verse 12, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness, bear him witness, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. At this point, we come to an individual who has actually already been mentioned in Colossians, um, and that is Epaphras. Epaphras was first mentioned in chapter 1 as the one who first proclaimed the gospel to the Colossians. As we mentioned previously, he was likely a convert of Paul's while Paul was in Ephesus and went back to his hometown of Colossae in order to proclaim the gospel and found a church. The fact that he is one of you recognizes that same thing as Onesimus. He is, this is his place of origin was Colossae. He joins others who is a servant of Christ Jesus. And... Um, Scholars note how this terminology is only used by Paul to describe himself and Timothy generally. Most conclude then that this statement by Paul is a way of showing his status in Paul's eyes to the Colossian community. Um, Epaphras was was a legitimate teacher and evangelist. Mu, 
uh, one of the scholars, recognizes this point explicitly. Just as Epaphras is a servant of Christ Jesus, always struggling on their behalf in prayer uh, so that they would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God, Paul says the exact same thing about himself in chapter 1. Thus, for Epaphras to be given such high esteem by Paul in this context is meant for emphasis to uh, Epaphras' role and how highly he, Paul considers him. Yet, he also struggles on their behalf in his prayers. Some might wonder what this means. What does it mean for him to struggle? And the likeliest explanation is that he prays for them against false teachings. He is aware of the possibility of false teachings creeping in into the congregation, so prays for the congregation to maintain their faithfulness. We see this as he prays that they would stand fully matured um, and assured in all the will of God. To stand firm is to remain faithful to what they were called into, the faith in Christ. And fully assured stems from them knowing the truth itself. By knowing the truth of the gospel, they will know the will of God. Ultimately, Paul's stamp of approval, so to speak, on Epaphras, comes with the reality of Paul knowing his work on behalf of those in Colossae. Laodicea, and Hierapolis. It is very likely that Epaphras not only started preaching the gospel in his hometown of Colossae, but in Laodicea and in Hierapolis as well. All of these cities were actually within 15 miles of each other. And as such, Epaphras may be working hard through his prayers over them and other ministerial responsibilities which he has for these places that he started. And we see that. You know, Paul himself cares very deeply for the congregations that he himself founds. And Epaphras, he cares just as much for the ones that he's founded, being a convert of Paul. Now verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. At this point, Luke and Demas are mentioned as giving thanks There is little said about either one of them here, but we know that Luke is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as Acts. We know in Acts that he actually traveled with Paul, uh, which is especially seen when the author of Acts says, we, instead of uh, Paul or Paul and Silas, he says, we went to this place. Uh, It implies um, that the author was there when writing about a particular situation and events. The fact that he is a doctor may be a way of distinguishing him from other doctors, too. Along with Luke is Demas. Um, Little is known of Demas, with the exception that when mentioned in 2 Timothy, he seems to have abandoned Paul. As Paul says there, because he loved the world, he has deserted me. Thus, all we can be sure of in this instance is that at one point he was a fellow associate of Paul, And the silence of giving him any special significance here might imply that they were already having a rough place. Though that is not something that we can be sure of at this point in the ministry, so don't take that as the 100% truth. Um, But still, Demas does greet them. Alrighty, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. As mentioned previously, Laodicea, along with uh, Hierapolis were within close proximity of Colossae. The only question we have at this point is why Hierapolis is not mentioned again here. Uh, The likeliest reason scholars think is that they have not been affected by the false teachers that have come into Laodicea and Colossae. Thus, like earlier in the letter, Paul doesn't seem to need to mention them in this regard. Ultimately, Paul asks that they continue their brotherly love uh, toward other churches by greeting them on Paul's behalf. 
As we see, Laodicea is the first place he asks, and also to Nympha and the churches in her house. Nympha was likely a wealthy widow who converted to Christianity and in love hosted the church in her abode. Thus, she practiced hospitality by opening her house to them in this way. Now, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. As was customary during the time period, when a letter from Paul was received, it was to be read to the entire congregation. And again, Tychicus is the one who probably did this. Um, and again, that's one of the two roles he has, was to deliver the letters and also to proclaim them, to speak them to the entire congregation from Paul. Thus, to be read among you is exactly as it implies. They are to have the letter read to them, um, to hear it proclaimed. But then we see another practice not seen elsewhere. Once it has been read, and likely elaborated on by Tychicus, where needed, they are also to send their letter to Laodicea and receive a letter from Laodicea. Um, thus, there is an understanding that what is being written is not only a centralized to a single church, but can be applied to various congregations. And when it comes to the actual letter to Laodicea, there's a grab bag of ideas. Some believe it is actually Philemon, though that seems unlikely in the end. Others believe it is the letter written to Ephesus, or by Ephesus. <laughs> Still, others believe it is actually Ephesians itself which seems to have been a circular letter, though it seems unlikely since Tychicus was likely bringing the letter to Ephesus on this trip, so it doesn't seem like he would mention it as Laodicean's letter. So the likeliest explanation out of all that is simply this, that Paul had at one time wrote a letter to Laodicea and Colossae was to receive a copy. Unless one of the above theories is true, it is more than likely that the letter has been lost. Um, so we do not have likely the Laodicean letter, unfortunately. Um, and we can actually be sure that there's a bunch of letters that Paul wrote that we just don't have anymore. Life has, time has just taken them away from us. Verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. The final request from Paul is that Archippus is told to remain focused on fulfilling his ministry. We cannot know what exactly the ministry of Archippus was. It may have been pastoring a neighboring congregation. It could be training congregations in the area. Or it could be simply evangelism. Ultimately, we do not know the exact ministry. All we can know is that he was encouraged to continue forward in what it was that the Lord had sent him to do. Alright, final verse, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The final verse of the letter has Paul taking up the stylus himself and writing his name and a final exhortation. In other letters, Paul says that the reason why he does this is to keep from forgeries from occurring. It also reminds us that Paul often did not write the letters, all of them, by himself, but often had someone transcribe them. In this case, it may have very well been Timothy. He then asks that they remember his chains. The chains here likely represent his imprisonment. As he is in prison for the gospel, he asks for himself to be reminded. Uh, this could be a way of asking for prayer or a way for them to pray for him. Likewise, it may spur them to support him in some way, whether by sending him items or some other help, like prayer. Ultimately, all we can be sure of is that Paul is currently in prison for the sake of Christ. Paul concludes the letter 
with the words grace to you. This is similar to us saying a final goodbye in a letter. Paul is eager for them to continue on in the grace that God has bestowed upon them, and as such concludes that the grace of God be with them. All right, main point. The main point of these verses are to issue a final greeting and final greetings, especially from Paul and those who are part of Paul's ministry team, especially in relation to the area near Colossae. Those who will be delivering and expounding on the letter are mentioned, as well as those whom Paul has kept close at hand during his imprisonment, likely in Rome. Ultimately, Paul concludes with a hope of grace, which would continue to be with the believers at Colossae. And thus ends the letter to Colossians. Um, All right, again, we went through a lot of verses. The question now is, what can be applicable? (laughs) What can be applicable in this circumstance? And we've read all these names. We've gone over all these things. How is that going to affect any of you? Let's see if this works. Challenge accepted. The first one that came to my mind was fulfilling ministry. One of the final points of today's text is Paul's encouragement that Archippus fulfills his ministry. I find this interesting thing to occur in the letter, and one which we can be reminded of ourselves. Simply put, we too need to be reminded to fulfill the ministries which God has called each of us to in our own lives. I know that oftentimes we can think that the real ministry is only pastoral, but the truth is, as it says in our bulletin, uh, each one of us are called to be ministers. And we are to be ministers by being faithful to what God has called us to be within the scriptures. Thus, women have specific roles which are different than men. Husbands are different than wives. Children are different than parents. Yet all are brought together in love and for the glory of God. Now, as I look around, I notice things. I notice that there are many within our own congregation who have been working their ministries faithfully for years and years. I also look out and see individuals who may be wondering, how can I serve more? There are others who are exhausted, and still others who haven't quite figured out where God might be calling them when it comes to this church family. All of these things are all right. There's nothing wrong with any of them. Many of you who have served for years and are exhausted, all I can say is thank you for your continued support and love for this congregation. Your years of service to this church have not gone unnoticed. Even when the world might not understand why you have done the things that you have done in devotion to God, there are many who do and who are thankful for you. It is upon your shoulders which we stand And in all honesty, they are very strong shoulders for us. Though as age and effects occur, and as exhaustion becomes simply too much, know again that this is all right. Know that even though you may not be able to serve as you once did, that does not mean that your service is ended, that your purpose is ended. Your prayers, your love, your hospitality, you continue to serve in these ways. And I am happy to be able to say you do serve in these ways. Now to those of us who are their sons and their daughters, and those of us who are their grandsons and granddaughters, we must acknowledge that we have very large shoes to fill. Um, We are no less called to be as faithful to our ministries as they have been. We are to be no less devoted to this congregation as they have been devoted. 
We are to learn from their love for us, for they have loved and continue to love us greatly. Their labor has been first for the Lord and second for our benefit, and it cannot be forgotten. So when we feel tired, we can look to this older generation who fulfilled their ministries and be encouraged to keep going. When we think to ourselves, Ugh, I don't know how um, I could help fulfill this ministry because of life. Well, let's look at those who said, I know I can help fulfill this ministry, and so I will. Let that be an encouragement to us to fulfill the ministries we are called to do here in this congregation. Ultimately, my hope is that each of us would continue to seek out the scriptures to better understand our ministries. That we would recognize our ministries extend beyond Sunday meetings and go into our homes. Go to our time out and about to our friends, our work. For all of these things belong to God, and when we seek to glorify God in all of these things in our lives, then we will find all the more that these things themselves become ministries for those around us whom we love. Likewise, that we would remember not all ministries are the same. For even in today's text, there were some who were letter carriers and expounders. There were some who were evangelists, some who were doctors, and some who were simply helpers. All are important, and all help fulfill our role together as the body of Christ. We are saved individuals, and with this salvation comes a great family of faith, which is called to serve one another in love, and letting that overflow to the world around us. So, let love guide us to fulfill what we are called to. Let our passion to glorify our God outweigh our exhaustion, and let our love for our God and each other help us along. Be encouraged in these things. Be encouraged by those who have come before you and those who come after you. And pray steadfastly and be devout to read the scriptures to know how you can glorify your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ personally as well as together as a community. Now, The next thought that came to my mind, who is God going to use? I admit I stole that from Rich Mullins, (laughs) uh, one of his old songs. Still, something else we notice within this text is the variety of individuals we see who are involved with Paul's ministry. I think a lot of times we think Paul was by himself. But the truth is, he had a great support group. Ultimately, there are 11 names Eleven named individuals within the above text, including Nymphus. All of them are important to the ministry which Paul is called to be part of. And yet there is something more about each one. Have any of you guessed what that more is? Well, the simple fact is they're all different. Not only are they different individuals, they each come from different places. They're not all from the same ethnicity either. Aristarchus, John Mark, and Justice Jesus, Jesus, they're all Jewish converts. Meanwhile, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, they're all Gentiles. Consider it even further. Onesimus, he's a runaway slave. Luke is a physician. What do we notice about all these individuals? The answer is that God has called each and every one of them from different areas and different social standings. 
This is reminiscent of what Paul had proclaimed earlier in the letter when he said, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is able to make this statement earlier in the letter because he has experienced the the grace of God in all of these individuals. He is personally seeing how God is transforming individuals for his glory and how the gospel is causing growth in places unlooked for and unseen. That it doesn't matter the standing or where one comes from. In the end, the gospel can take root and produce fruit. I think that for each of us, there is so much encouragement for this. It can remind us that no matter what our personal experience is, God can bring us around for his glory. It can remind us that no matter what the person next to us might have been through or has been through or is going through now, God can transform them through his gospel. That there is no one too much a sinner, no one too much a slave to be outside of the outstretched arms of Christ. Not only is this the case, but it also leads to so much more. For many have dealt with the realities of their own sin and their own failures. So many brothers and sisters think, I'm such a fool. I haven't fulfilled my ministry to my spouse or my kids or my grandchildren or the church body. What's the encouragement? You can let go of the doubt and the feelings of failure and start to be faithful now. Do you know who I see that in? Onesimus. Onesimus, the runaway slave from Philemon. You know, he could have stayed a runaway slave. He could never have returned to Philemon. What do we find, however? He repents of what he has done, and he remedies the situation. He goes back to Philemon, and Paul himself beseeches on his behalf, ultimately reminding Philemon that Onesimus is a brother in Christ. I know in this life we can think we've done too much damage, Yet the marvelous thing about Christ is that he causes change within us. And he does this through our faithfulness to him. Just as marvelous is that this change is accomplished in any person through the gospel of Jesus. No matter how you feel or what you think of yourself, God can cause growth in your life. That is my encouragement to you as you consider all these names. To remember that they are no different than you. Yet here they are. Names. These people. From the history of the faith. Men and women who we read about. But like the prophets, we do not know a great deal about. But what do we remember about them overall? That they were individuals who sought to glorify God where God called them to be. Some were messengers. Again, some were helpers. Some were evangelists, some slaves, some doctors. Yet God used them all. Used all these different individuals for his glory. So he can use you too. Be faithful then to remember that God is a great God. And that we are vessels of his glory if we are in Christ. There is no greater blessing for us than this and no greater encouragement to us that though we were once lost, we are now found. And though we were once broken, we have been redeemed all because of the blood of Christ. And ultimately, the way that Paul ends and Timothy end the letter is with a message of grace. 
Grace. Earlier today, we were talking a little bit about grace, about common grace and special grace. And common grace is how the rain falls on the just and the wicked regardless. But special grace is Jesus Christ coming into your life, changing you, transforming you. You know, grace is undeserved. The people at Colossae, Paul knows them. He knows that they're sinners. He knows that they are undeserving of whatever it is that they're being taught. But the truth is, he also knows that God is a gracious God. And that grace, that tangible grace, is what we need. Because like we also talked about today, grace is foreign to us. We're all sinners. But grace is what we need. And grace is found in the gospel. It's found in our origins when God created the heavens and the earth. And he did this by his own power. And last of all, he created humanity to, to bear his image. And with that comes the blessing of fruitfulness um, of children. But also that we are called to be creators. That we're called to be workers. That we're called to cultivate That we're called to be like our creator. In love. Peace. Seeking wisdom. Knowledge. Understanding. Seeking to know God. And that because of this we have dignity, sanctity, and worth to all of our lives. But of course we know what happened. We know the fall. We experienced the fall. We know that each of us has gone like our forefathers and our foremothers into sin. And because of that act of sin, we deserve justice. We deserve judgment. And we can see how the world deserves all these things when we look out and see what we saw last week. And if you remember last week, as we talked about the New Year's, we kind of did a little bit of a review of 2017. And you know what? There's been a lot of darkness. How many different things have occurred this past year from shootings, mass shootings, from destruction, from wars, from terror. We saw it all. We saw the loss of life. We saw family die. We've been sick. We've been broken. So we who partake deserve justice, and there's our problem. But what is once a problem and what is once impossible for us is not impossible to God. And that's what God does, is that he comes in redemption, and that's what we see today with these individuals who were lost once in their sin, just like we were. Guess what? Now these people, they are redeemed, and they are working for the glory of God in all that they are, and that they are fellow servants of Christ, that they are giving everything to Jesus Christ because they have been redeemed. And we look back on these people, we look back on the names, and we think to ourselves, I'm no different because I too am redeemed. And just as they gave everything, all of their lives, to the glory of God, we can as well. And that's the whole redemption. Not only is it the fact that we are saved from judgment, we are also saved from darkness in our lives. So that sin is no longer the crown on our head, but grace and love. Jesus Christ and what he has done. He is our Lord, not soon. This redemption is not a small thing. It encompasses all of our lives. And ultimately, it leads us to somewhere. 
And I always say glorification because we're going to enter into glory. And um, this glory, if we are in Christ, it's marvelous. Because you're going to experience the love of God without anything in between you. Without the doubt, without the sin. It's just going to be you and this great love of God. And you're going to say, I want more. And guess what? You're going to be able to reach and there's going to be more. And then you'll think that, oh, I want more. Guess what? You're going to be able to keep going because there's going to be more. And once you think you've gotten to the end of knowing God in this time, guess what? There's going to be more. Because God is perfect and wonderful in all of his ways. And we have just a glimpse here. And how wonderful is that glimpse? Now imagine what we're going to get in the future. So much more. All because of what Christ has done. My encouragement to you is that as we read through these names, as we look back on the history of the faith, that we would be encouraged to not give up, to keep going, just as these individuals kept going, kept being faithful, that we would be faithful as well. Our God is worthy. He is worthy of each of us. Let us pray. Father, We thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, we can look back on the history of faith and find individuals who were faithful to you, who desired to worship and honor you. And we know the reason why they were able to do this is because of your grace. Because of what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus. So Lord, we ask for the same thing that Paul asked For the Colossians, grace be with us. Grace be with all of us. And that we too would seek to honor you with all of our lives. We thank you again. Our Lord and Savior, in his name we pray. Amen. Please rise.